Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Peter Whittle. Now there's a subject we haven't discussed ever on this channel before. I'm, I'm delighted we're going to be doing that today. Artificial intelligence, AI, depending on your point of view or which paper you read, is either an existential threat to our very existence as a human race or indeed uh, is the possible opening of the most wonderful dreamlike landscape uh, in the future. Probably the, f the truth is somewhere in the middle there. I'm delighted, therefore, to be joined today by Paul McDonnell, who is the co-founder and chief executive of Global Digital Foundation. He's also a contributor to such publications as The Wall Street Journal, The Critic, and Economic Affairs. Um, thank you very much for coming. Thank you for Paul. having me. Thank you. Um, well, okay, let's start a few months ago. Uh, about 350 experts in AI, uh, including the person behind or the, the, the creator of this chat GPT, which we know about, uh, wrote a letter or signed a letter saying that we've got to be very careful because this AI does pose an existential threat to humanity. Um, was that hyperbole? Uh, yes, in a word. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't believe any of that. Um, I think uh, AI in many ways is, as it's being implemented or will be implemented soon, not all that different from what existing technology can do. So for example, when companies, or policymakers rather, um, talk about the dangers of AI, for example, possibly discriminating against people or making decisions about people, uh, they, 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 they tend to be describing something which could be done with a spreadsheet mm -hmm. and could have been done in the 1980s with a spreadsheet by just correlating different types of data. Yes. So AI is not, is not inherently uh, dangerous, uh, in my opinion. Um, I think one of the problems with the regulation of AI is that we, we uh, regulators certainly in Europe, mm. and to some extent I think in the UK, take the view that um, AI is a bit like, say, an, air, an, air, uh, an aircraft uh, guidance system, yes. uh, an automatic pilot system in an aircraft. You know, yes. that, that, that these things are made to very high standards and yeah. so on. And so the assumption is that, that, that a kind of safetyist framework is placed on AI. Now, there are going to be AIs that may be used in driving cars, of course, uh, or maybe flying planes, um, or maybe in some kinds of very important uh, biomedical research where they will need to be working properly yes. and they will need to be safe. Yeah. Um, but there are other kinds of AI where it's not, it's not sort of safety critical in that sense. And part of the problem is that we live in a world where there's been a concept creep in terms of the word safety into other areas that are more to do with human values and, and, and rights and individual rights and so on and so forth. And, and there's been a, an elision between that, that sort of physical safety aspect that people are worried yeah. about, yeah. you know, Robocop. Yeah on the one hand, and this, this broader sort of uh, safetyist culture that we live in, you know, where, where people don't feel safe if they hear opinions they don't agree with and so on. Yes. And AI is kind of straddling that at the moment conceptually. Um, I, 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 I tend to think that the people who are sort of saying it's, it's, it's a potential catastrophe and it's, it's really very yeah. great threat, to some extent these are people who want to regulate it. Um, even though they're in that business, uh, because they understand that with proper regulation, they'll be able to 
commercially uh, monetize it more easily if, if there are rules. But so um, I mean, I, without going right to the kind of you know, doomsday scenario, which mm. me, um, means I'm about to, but um, isn't the point really is, the point's always made, and again, this is a very layman's approach, that somehow artificial intelligence will basically at one point become superior to us, and therefore regulation becomes beside the point. Yeah, I don't really, I don't, I mean, it, there's no sign of that yet. It, it's, I mean, uh, AI really is, is uh, most AI that we have works on a concept called machine learning. Mm. And so what it does is it, it sort of works in layers. And so if you imagine, um, uh, I suppose one way of putting it is that it, it's a giant correlation engine. It, it correlates different, different kinds of data. Right. So um, if you imagine an AI that's driving a car using cameras and it's using cameras to spot things that are in the, you know, in the street or on the road and it, it needs to distinguish between you know, humans and animals and so forth um, and it needs to recognize certain things. Now that AI tends to be trained and it tends to be trained over, you know, it, it's essentially it, it's trained in stages. So initially it's trained to recognize there is an object and then there is an object with two legs, so it's a person, and then there's an object with two legs, which is a child, or, you know, so it, it gets trained progressively, and eventually then it seems to recognize what's in the road. And I think AI in general, um, in, in other sort of areas, is really going to be used to automate existing processes where people are involved. So if you imagine, for example, uh, two, two companies that are trying to merge across two different jurisdictions, um, perhaps the merger will give them, you know, a market dominance in both jurisdictions. They're going to they're going to have lawyers, and the lawyers are going to be looking at not just the contract law aspect, but they'll be yeah. looking at the competition law aspect. Yeah. Now, it's quite possible that I, I think probably likely at some point in the future that an AI, will, a specialist AI, will be consulted to produce a document summarizing all the legal issues mm -hmm. that need to be gone through. Right now, of course, if you were doing that, you, you, you'd have an international law firm who might charge you, you know, a million yeah, pounds for yeah. what, in fact, is a piece of preliminary work. Yeah. But there's no reason to think that an AI could not churn out most of that in five minutes once all the data was in, mm. in there. Mm. And so it, it's doing kind of preliminary skilled work and saving time um, rather than the way ChatGPT, you know, if you ask ChatGPT, to, to, to write you a letter mm -hmm. of invitation for your birthday um, and you give it the date and so on and so forth, it will do it, you know, it, it, it will save time. And it may well be that people, I mean, people will be using these things to, to produce a first iteration of something. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't buy into this idea that it, it in, in any sense, AI is in any sense genuinely intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm with, um, uh, I think it's, um, I think it's John Searle, the philosopher, uh, who writes about this, and, and he, he doesn't really necessarily buy into the idea that AI is genuinely intelligent as such. It, it's yes. really just a, it, yeah. it just simulates yeah. intelligence. So, I mean, you can obviously tell already I know very, very little about this. So, does it, would it or does it know that it's intelligent? In other words, does it have a con a consciousness? No, a it doesn't. That's the thing. It doesn't have a consciousness. It, 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 it's really, um, it's really like a super smart spreadsheet, that right. with, with algorithms. I mean, essentially, it works with algorithms. So, an algorithm, of course, is is a a, a formula which, when it, it, it's exposed to data or applied to data, right. 
will sort that data and make decisions and you know come up with a with a with a with a, with a view. So, for example, you could have an algorithm that would sort of say that might say, um, uh, find me everybody in the UK who who professes to vote in one political party, mm. and tell me their age and tell me where they live, where they live, and then you know write me a campaign uh, leaflet to mm. aim at these people based on what what surveys tell me is the thing that they're most concerned about, for mm. example. Mm. And that's sort of an AI could possibly do that. But it's really just correlating different data. It's doing the work that you might get a bunch of researchers to do. Yes. Um, and there's no sign yet of it becoming actually intelligent. If you take, for example, um, uh, there was the program produced by Alpha, uh, with AlphaGo, which was a program produced by a subsidiary of Google, um, DeepMind. Yes. And this program, uh, I think it was about 2016, played Go, the Japanese, the, China, the Oriental board game Go. Uh, and uh, it's a game that I, I'm familiar with. And this beat the world champion in Go, uh, Lee Zedol. Uh, but again, it was, it was really just a, a, a massive correlation engine. It, was a, mm. it had a massive database of moves that it could make. It had an evaluation thing, you know, a d function where it was evaluating the current board situation and then looking for the optimal move and so on and so forth. Apparently, people have found out since that, that that program was quite easy to throw off just by making right. random moves. Right. And so it's not, it's not, um, it's not intelligent. Uh, now that doesn't necessarily prove it's not intelligent, but it, it, there's nothing to suggest that AI has or is on the way to developing any kind of consciousness. Isn't it right to say that it's actually um, nigh well impossible to tell if something's AI? It you depends. Know, I mean, you could do this, haven't they? they yeah, you could. Um, I mean, th there is the famous Turing test, which was uh, Alan Turing, the, the computer engineer. Uh, I think he wrote an article in, I think it was in Mind magazine, and I think it was 1955 or thereabouts. And he talked about a test whereby if a computer was able to fool you that it was human based on a question and answer session, that this therefore would prove that it was, it was intelligent. Now, that in fact is not true. Um, the fact that you can be fooled by something mm. doesn't accord a quality to that thing. It, it, yeah. I mean, it might suggest something about you. Um, so I think he was wrong about that. Now, what he may have been getting at, I think, or certainly what we can take from that, is that um, a computer that can fool you that it's human, well, it's, very, it's a very good computer and it could be very useful. You know, ro people will, will, will want robots in the future to, to, to help them if they're lonely. The Japanese use these already. Um, and the robots, they can have conversations with the robots, or the robots can help them do some physical things around the house. Mm. But it, it's, it's, not, it's not intelligent. No. Um, they will provide companionship. I mean, I, I think one thing that robots would be able to do would be you know, teach you a language, for example. Right. That would be interesting, if it could converse with you in a language. But I think this idea that AI is intelligent is actually something of a red herring. And I think it's a red herring which is put out there uh, by organizations and by policymakers as um, a, a sort of alibi to impose a lot of regulation on it. Right. And, and that regulation, to some extent, I think is a power grab uh, in business and in, in organizations of, of all kinds. It's, it's a, it's this, a, is, this is your specific area, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this is, this, and this regulation. is regulation. Yeah, and I, and I think that, that, that the danger that the regulations um, will constitute some kind of a power grab. So take, for example, the European Union. The European Union uh, has um, uh, an AI Act, which is not, not in force yet. I think it's 2025 it's coming in. And this, this act 
absolutely elides the difference between uh, what you might call the equality agenda on one side and, and you know, straightforward physical safety on the other side, as in, you know, if you put this thing in a train, that's a driverless train, it's it got to work, you know, it, mm. it, can't, it can't harm people. But they've actually elided the difference between those two things. And, and so they are, they are somewhat bought into the idea, for example, that AI can be used to promote an, a political agenda, or mm. we, we, I would think it's a political agenda of equality. Um, and that's all being done on, so, so wh when, p when people tell you that it's, it's, it's possibly the end of the world, I mean, you have to remember that at every inflection point of every new technology, certainly going back to the printing press in the 15th mm -hmm. century, mm -hmm. certainly with broadcasting, radio and then television, and then of course with the internet, you've always had people in authority saying, oh my God, you know, this is all new, it's going to you know, dissolve society in some, in some mm -hmm. fundamental way. The Kodak camera, Kodak camera was introduced, yeah. I think, in around 1890, give or take. Mm -hmm. And it was thought to be, you know, it was going to cause all sorts of problems because people were going around taking pictures. It was like the iPhone of its day. Yeah. People were going around taking pictures of people without their permission. Yes. And this caused yeah. enormous distress. Yeah. And so there was this kind of, there is this sort of technology, I mean, there's a well-known technology panic mm -hmm. that happens and that's been written about. Mm -hmm. Um, with every new technology and the people who are suggesting that you panic usually you have to watch out because they're they're looking for some kind of extensive regulation that will give them an advantage so the uh, EU act for example is that mm. a regulatory act yes it is it's it's it's, it's a it, it requires it, it essentially unlike the UK the EU act uh, tries to regulate the technology itself as, mm. as dangerous mm. and it defines sort of two levels of risk it is a high risk and, and, and low risk uh, AI and they also are doing something which I think the UK government is doing as well which I think is a mistake they're mixing up the regulation mm. with a kind of industrial policy mm. where they're talking about you know we want Europe to be a center of AI innovation and I mean this is some, some of the pattern you're hearing from the UK as well and actually again that you have to be suspicious of that because they're arguing that you know if we regulate it the right way we become more competitive yeah and it's all it's to do with this with the, the, the it's to do with assurance you know people will trust it so you know having stoked mistrust of AI yes uh, they then 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 comes the argument that well in order to promote trust <laughs> we now need to regulate it yeah, yeah. Um, and in the case of I mean, to give you an example um, of what AI really is is likely to do. I mean, if you really think of it as like existing technology, only it's somewhat better. And if you think of relatively unskilled jobs in organizations that it's able to do, um, that maybe, you know, people at a certain level would have been able to do up to now. So hospitals, for example, mm -hmm. might use an AI to do the work of uh, a, a sort of trainee doctor mm. uh, in terms of looking at symptoms and recommending possible you know, a, a diagnosis. Would that just outcomes. be AI on a screen or would it be a physical thing? Well, it would be on our screen, you know, mm. so you can imagine this, that mm. scenario. Yeah. And I, I, th I think the problem with it is, uh, is, is that the, 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 um, if the AI becomes, you know, embedded within organizations like this, which is perfectly, no it's going to happen. I mean, some level of AI will become embedded in organizations and used in organizations. It'll be incremental. It'll be piecemeal. Um, when you regulate this and you, you start regulating this for things like 
um, equality and safety and so on, certainly equality, then the danger is that, 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 that the government is going to colonize mm -hmm. with a kind of politics. I mean, mm -hmm. we already have a, a, a society where, you know, I mean, to put it rather glibly, you know, everybody who works for a major, or everybody who works, everybody, everybody who runs uh, major organizations tends to agree on everything yes. with each other. Oh, yes. And that's the world we're in yeah. right now. Yeah. Now, you imagine AI um, and an AI that, that is seen to be somehow germane and, and, and relevant to the whole question of equality in organizations, mm. uh, equality of outcome in particular, mm. for example. Mm. Um, and the danger there, I think, is that, is that the governance of the AI actually becomes a kind of conformity of what the AI does and what the and the outcomes the AI generates, I and mean, these are outcomes that are not random or unknown. But just you know, for example, um, if you imagine um, a scenario where uh, the government or the policymakers wanted an organisation to, let's say, um, subsidise say certain poorer communities um, with its product, or you know, ha wha had to em uh, employ a, a representative group in terms of gender. Mm. Uh, uh, and, and ethnicity, and if they were using an AI to do this, it's it's easy to envisage that that a regulation of the AI could become the sort of stepping stone of an intrusive sort of diktat yes. to tell them because well you know you, your your AI is doing this and your AI is making the now of course these would have been decisions that would have been made ordinarily by by mm. by by managers and organisations so the the decisions won't be any different and in, and in essence the work won't be that different but it, so uh, the idea of regulating AI and attributing it, attributing to it this great power that this almost you know it's a sort of sort of Cartesian yeah. idea where the AI is, is the brain, is the mind. And so I think the mistake we're making around AI is that we are, we are attributing it uh, the quality of a kind of a mind mm. in our society. And that then sets up a whole question around intentionality and a, a perceived intentionality on the part of the AI. And therefore, that's the license to regulate it. Also, there is, uh, allied, I think, to this point, uh, same principle, I think. Um, in fact, actually, it's one of the you know, uh, discussion points we get mostly from viewers, and that is, you know, how how subjective, if that's the right word to use, this AI would be. I.e., the implication is is that at the moment, embedded in in AI are certain kind of worldviews. Yeah. Now, yeah. you know, you can dismiss that as paranoia or whatever, but it broadly speaking would be, I suppose. I think it's been pointed out before, Silicon Valley's value system or whatever it is. And, you know, so people have used, you know, chat uh, GPT to, to bring forward certain examples. Um, so how could regulation help with that? Well, there was an example, uh, for example, I think in a tech company where they were looking to hire people and they were scoring higher, the AI was scoring higher for people who had played certain sports, for example. In, in college, you know, and but of course, what they forgot is that these sports, these supports were, were sort of sex-linked, yeah. and they ended up discriminating against women. Yeah. Now, that's a mistake, yeah, clearly yeah. a mistake. Yeah, yeah. I I tend to take the view that, um, you know, if if regulators and and policymakers want to tell companies you can't discriminate against people based on gender or sex and race, which I would tend to agree with because it's you know mm. it's a very bad idea, mm. um, they should then say, and if you're using an AI 
to select this. You know, we, we, will, know, we will know after the fact. Yes. And, and so you will know really ex post because, because you will see the outcomes. You will see the, you know, you, you'll see the skewed figures if, if they're doing it. It's very unlikely that a company would want to do that deliberately. Mm. Um, it could happen inadvertently, mm. but I don't think it needs special regulation. I just think they need to say to companies, you know, whether your manager is making these decisions or your AI is making these decisions is neither here nor there. Mm. You, you are mm. still liable for the outcome of those decisions and therefore we will be coming at you mm. if, if we think that there's discrimination happening based on, based on sex or based on, or based on ethnicity. So but when it sort of comes to kind of standardized opinions, you know, uh, uh, for, for in the Times there was a piece about how, um, very recently, about how school homework is being transformed by the use oh yeah. of these kids by of chat uh, GPT, which mm. of course is the popularly known form of AI mm. at the moment. Um, but that within this, therefore, there were certain kind of views that, you know, were about an historical issue, for example, whatever, you know, yeah. and that minority viewpoints uh, were therefore not heard, or at least yeah. sort of standardized, yeah. phased out in a way. And that, that is a real danger to, you know, growing minds, if you like. Well, there is, I mean, there is already, I think, in schools, a danger that people are being taught according to a f formulae yeah. of what to think. Yeah. Not how to think, but what to think. Mm -hmm. That's happening in universities also, not just schools. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a danger that AI begins to embed in structures mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And so you, you end up almost in a kind of Huxley-esque universe where, where you know, everything is programmed. Um, that is a danger. Um, I mean, the way I put it is, is that the, the, the most dangerous part of AI um, are the people who claim it's dangerous and have control over it yes. and who all share very similar opinions about everything. Yeah. And they will, you know, they will deem that the AI is fair based on a political view that they have, mm. whereas they will not want uh, a political idea or view expressed or the possibility of a political view expressed that they, that they don't like. And that's, that's a danger. It's, it's, it's almost like um, the AI, you know, is a sort of instantiation um, in technology of what is already happening in organizations and institutions. Right, okay. You yeah, know, it's, in other right. words, the, the technology, right. it's mm. becoming in a way, mm. in a way, if you think of it as a, as a kind of, um, as a kind of programming or embedded ideology. Mm. And so the worry is that, that, that but we're already embedding ideology mm. in, in organizations, mm. in procedures and processes. Mm. Um, I mean, this is the, in a way, this is the big picture. You know, we, we live in a world where uh, organizations increasingly think alike. I mean, there are very interesting studies about this. You know, that the, 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 um, uh, a chap called DiMaggio, uh, DiMaggio and Powell, two people, wrote a paper on, on, uh, on isomorphism. Mm. And it was based on a, an observation by, by Max Weber, who, who I think writing in the 50s, had talked about um, uh, modernity uh, and modernity the impact of modernity in organizations was to create sort of an, an iron cage mm. of rationality mm. about how organizations work. Mm. And Weber, who I don't agree with on lots of things, but that was a good observation. And these chaps talk about modern organizations. They, they wrote their paper in, I think, the early 90s. And they talked about isomorphism. And what they meant was that the reason why organizations are becoming similar 
um, uh, both in terms of structure, like they, you know, they've got HR departments and they've got you know, equality officers and diversity officers and so on. And this is happening right across the English-speaking world. The reason why that's happening is because there's a process of what he calls isomorphism, mm. whereby the branches of organizations are beginning to become more similar. And that's happening because the personnel from consultancies and universities are coming out or they're hopping between different jobs and they're replicating. Now, to some extent, you can look at that as a sort of macro programming of the organization. The organization has a certain you know, structure, and therefore it will have a certain profile, it'll have a certain, it'll have a certain embedded philosophy. AI is simply going to be, possibly, a further instrumentalization of that into right. a program. Right. And that's, the, that's, you know, that's what I think is the worrying thing about AI. Interesting, though, about this is that we're talking about what once would were called white collar jobs. You, you could talk about, you know, um, the professions or whatever, or and also areas like marketing and all of these. These seem to be the jobs that you know, even though that they are very much uh, AI is sort of very much on their wavelengths. They're also aren't they at most danger of losing their jobs? I mean, from AI because yep. whereas in the past. Um, technology always meant the working people were going to lose out, right? You yeah, know, yeah, factors yeah. Almost sure. Weavers, um, yeah. Going right back to the, uh, what is it, the, uh, the loom, uh, the weaving, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, whereas now, it's a different group of people who, lawyers, right? And you yeah. can sort of think to yourself, well, maybe they, they'll do all that they can <laughs> to, to, to curtail this thing. Yes, yeah. there, there is a kind of, I think there is a kind of, um, there is a concept, now I can't call to mind the name of the paper, but there was a paper written by uh, a woman called Elite Panic. And it was about the, it was an account of an earthquake in Anchorage, I think in 1961, when all of the emergency services in Anchorage had gotten together and figured out what do we do if there's a, an earthquake or a problem. And lo and behold, there was an earthquake and they all got together and they all decided they'd need to have sort of martial law, there'd be chaos, rioting, and so on and so forth. And while they were f meeting and figuring all this out and, and preparing to send out people into the streets, the citizens of Anchorage themselves sorted themselves into different skill sets like nurses, you know, right. excavators, mm -hmm. builders, and so on, and rescued the vast majority of the people from the earthquake. <laughs> and the, 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 the author, it was really a, 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 a psychology paper. Mm -hmm. The author talked about this concept of elite panic, where elites we live in a world where elites don't trust ordinary people. Oh, yeah. And there's, you know, there was an energy, there's an energy in a way coming out of the last 20 years um, where I guess, you know, it was, it was probably, be it began with the financial crisis um, and you had sort of very disaffected uh, white working class people whose, whose jobs had been globalized but didn't, get didn't feel that there was any kind of reciprocation. Mm -hmm. Um, from the countries that we globalized to, you know, who are kind of there gaming the system, yeah. and there yeah. wasn't, you know, yeah. and so so that all led to that all led to to populist movements like like, like Trump, mm. and and like Brexit, and that the response of the the sort of elites to this was one of panic, mm. and and there was an emotional charge was born from that, which I think fed into the COVID response, the lockdown response as well. There was a panic, you know, we can't trust the we can't trust the plebs, mm. you know, mm -hmm. that they don't know how to behave. Um, and so AI and panic about AI, again, like other technology, fits in to some extent with that model, I think, where you have elite panic. Now, whether lawyers you know, are motivated, to some extent, yes. I mean, lawyers, bro broadly speaking, 
are, are believers in regulation, they, they would probably tend to be left of center. They would tend to be big state people. Uh, they tend to, to think that unless the government does something, it won't happen. Um, and so I would agree with you um, that, that there are people who are educated. Um, uh, it's a funny observation I remember making a few years ago, and it was, I think it was during, you know, talking about elite panic, and it was, it was during the, the, the COVID lockdowns, that it, it seemed to me that the more educated you were, the less you had a, gr a grip on reality. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. there was something going on yes, there. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, in fact, it was the regular folks you might meet down the pub who seemed to be a bit more grounded. Mm. Well, it was sort of like, uh, I suppose um, it became what you might call one of those luxury, or some people call them luxury beliefs. Yep. Yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah. Or certainly sort of status indicators. Yes. You know, that, so, yeah. you know, if you're a truck driver in Canada, that's right, and you know, Trudeau is blocking your account and, and exactly. all the rest of it. But I mean, so therefore they, yes, so in a way they've got a dual response, haven't they? They've got on the one hand something that, that could be used, but at the other hand is possibly a danger in some ways to them and their livelihoods. You know, oh, so it, yeah, and so, and so to, to suggest that it's very dangerous and, you know, it's yes. very dangerous and I need to protect you. Mm. you know, as a lawmaker, yeah. uh, we need to protect you from this. And there's a comment, it was, um, I think it was Baroness Kidron, do I have that right? I don't know, she, she's a cross-pench peer. Right. And it was a discussion I was watching and it was about the, uh, the online safety bill, or act or bill, I think. And she was making the argument, you know, that most countries now are in agreement that this all needs to be regulated and mm. where it's in, there's agreement about how it should be done. Mm. And she was using the fact that there was agreement across the world amongst policymakers mm. across the world about how online material should be regulated as a justification for the online, yes. the online safety uh, bill, um, which is interesting. And, and um, again, I, th I, th I think um, there is an incentive for governments to talk up the panic or yes. policymakers to talk yeah. up the panic. It's moving slightly on from that, but it is connected. And I think we've already touched on it. How, what will the effect be of AI, if anything, on free speech? I mean, we're already, obviously, because you've been, I believe, doing a lot of research on this. Mm -hmm. we're, we're already in a position where online free speech is, should we say, compromised or, you know, mm -hmm. it's under attack or whatever. Um, is there anything particularly occurring to AI, which would affect free speech, do you, do you see? Yes, I mean, I think the thing about AI is that we, we probably need to understand, we probably need to stop looking at AI as being somehow special or separate. It's, it's, it's really a more Parts, sophisticated, right. Right. it's really an extension yeah. of both existing technologies and also of existing organizational policies. And so, for example, um, there's this concern that AI generates fake information. You know, which ChatGPT does generate fake information. It, it cites papers that don't exist, yes, you know, yeah. and this kind of thing. And there's always the possibility that it will be gamed and it will produce false information. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, but again, this is sort of talked up as some sort of existential crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and so, the prob again, it's one of these things where, where, where I, th I mean, I think if, if you're to put your finger, I mean, you would know this probably from your background, because if you're to put your finger on one particular concept that explains the attitude of governments and policymakers who want to regulate these things um, in the digital sphere generally, 
it's a bit like public service broadcasting, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Public service broadcasting, you know, broadcasting was new technology, mm-hmm. um, and the governments decided in the 1920s, you know, you had to have, it had to be regulated. Mm. Um, and um, likewise, you know, they've been doing their best to regulate information online mm. in the same way, and, mm. you know, fitted into a public service paradigm, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want fake news, we, we want, you know, children to be protected and so on and so on. Uh, and um, and I think AI will serve as a kind of uh, tool mm. that these people will both want to use, um, and it'll also be a sort of boogeyman. So it's it's I suppose How it's rather it like. How would that work then? For what sort of can you paint a scenario <coughs> where that where it would be used? You know, in in that way. Well, you can imagine a scenario where, um, for example, an AI is deleting things or editing things online. Right. It, it, it's acting as a kind of moderator, for example. Yes. Now, an AI could act as a moderator. You know, it, 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 they're, they're quite intelligent. They're going to get more intelligent. And people who are putting, putting up heterodox views, you can imagine. Mm. Um, and what's worrying you see about this is, I mean, th- it's a question I'd love to put to people who are in favor of all this online regulation. A, a, a hypothetical question, which I would ask, would be, well, what would you have done about the Great Barrington Declaration and, uh, and their heterodox opinions about, about the management of COVID-19? Or what would you have done about um, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop, the story that the New York Post produced? And because you know, if you program the AI the right way and it's moderating things, it, it, it can be very efficient yes. at, at, at taking down things. And then you can imagine a scenario where an AI is sort of certified and remember, the, the attitude in, in the UK and more so in Europe is very much around, you know, we want to have excellence in AI. Our AI has mm. to be of the highest quality, mm. by which they mean it has to be trusted mm. and also quite capable. Well, if you imagine that scenario where you're sort of giving it certificates mm. um, and you have an AI that somehow has this certificate of excellence um, and it's, it's, it's you know, removing disagreeable posts online and so on and so forth. So there is a threat to freedom of speech in that sense. Mm. Um, now, I don't think that people who want to regulate it, you know, I don't think they're malicious. I don't think they, they mean harm. But we are in a world now where companies will preemptively take down things mm. and preemptively design their AI to remove content in order to avoid hassle mm. um, coming from activist groups and so on. There's something I, I, one thing I should add, by the way, which, which is a, a, a very relevant to what you're asking. Uh, the European Union um, AI uh, regulation prov- uh, provides for uh, special groups to be given a recognition in terms of flagging stuff online. Right. This is not what they, I mean, this is in, in to do with the Digital Services Act, but there's an AI dimension to this. And the Digital Services Act, the, the Digital Services Act in Europe you know, it's licensing representative groups. It's kind of corporatism Mm, in a way. mm. And um, so therefore the people who are are activists and have a special interest will be given a special hearing. Now, I think the same thing is is de facto in place in the UK. I'm open Mm. to correction on that. Mm. But I think there is a kind of a a listening to and a consulting Mm. with activist groups about what they do and don't like. And that's quite, challenging because if some corporate activist group bullies a bit like Stonewall you know mm. if they bully an organization into a certain point of view that organization is going to preemptively take because they don't want the hassle yeah. and you can imagine an AI embedding all of that yes indeed I mean, well actually you talk about Stonewall it, you know it's almost take your pick you know whether it's the Metropolitan Police 
or whether it's, uh, again, in some ways, the most important of all, education. I mean, you know, the, these are all the areas, uh, indeed, where, where that would apply. And, mm. and uh, it is sort of it, interesting the way you're describing it as being a kind of, a sort of tool and also an extension of a situation that we already have. Yes. Oh, yes. Just in a technical yeah. sense. Yes. It's not. I mean, the idea that it's it's some kind of you know uh, Robocop or Total Recall or sci-fi magic yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's in a way a distraction. Mm. It's not. It's actually a sophisticated extension of the world we have now, and there is a, a sort of battle to be fought in the world we have now to preserve freedom and freedom of speech and yeah. so on. And and AI, you know, will be used by 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 people who oppose that. Well, I mean, you wouldn't need sensitivity readers, would you, anymore? Well, exactly. No, exactly. And 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 you have that, you know. And 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 I mean, a lot of this stems from, I suppose, a, an attitude that's been developing some over some decades now about free speech and about how speech works online. Yeah. Um, and. A misunderstanding, as I as I have it, I mean, I'm slightly changing the subject here, but a misunderstanding, as I would put it, about the relationship between, say, sp between say, speech, hateful speech, you might call it, and and political violence, and I I don't think the relationship is causal. Mm. I think it's correlative. Um, That's a very hard, difficult uh, view to have now in in most sort of institutions. You know, it's it is it's, it's accepted yeah. absolutely that yeah. one leads to another. Indeed, is the same of same value. Well. Richard Evans, the Cambridge historian mm. who wrote a, a, an excellent trilogy about the Third Reich, um, observed that there was no evidence that the German people hated the Jews any more in 1945 than they did in 1933, mm. which suggests that the propaganda didn't make that much difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, th there's an interesting historical, I mean, we're sort of shifting here quite a bit, but there's an interesting historical discussion to be had about the relationship between sort of this sort of speech and propaganda mm. and what people actually do. Mm. Um, and I, 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 I tend to think that we're living in a, in a post, we're still living in a post-World War II world, where after the, world, after the war, there was an, a, a, everybody, everybody thinks they know, you know wh what fascist propaganda is and what it does. Yeah. And so after the war, what happened was, everybody assumed, I mean, the Nuremberg judges, you know, the, the allies, authorities, and so on. Um, everybody was in total agreement. And of course, you know, any, any Nazis who were still left were all in total agreement about the efficacy of propaganda mm. in mobilizing populations mm. to do bad things. Um, and even though that was somewhat ahistorical when you consider, you know, how the Third Reich actually developed and how it implemented its, its, its murderous program, its, its kind of racial war, it doesn't really follow yeah. from the propaganda yeah. you know, or all of that. Yeah. Um, and the, the, what happened really after the war then was that at the behest of the Russians and the French, um, all of this was put into legislation whereby governments were enjoined not to target minorities, which you know, actually you know, was probably fair enough because the governments were the threat. Mm -hmm. But then they were enjoined to implement domestically these laws against hateful targeting of minorities, yes. and then they implemented them against individual citizens. Mm -hmm. So there's a sleight of hand, right? Mm -hmm. so, so a movement after World War II to, to constrain governments from targeting minorities. So how, you know, we went from there to the police 
knocking on your door warning you about tweets. Yes. And actually, yeah. those are two different things. Mm. Um, and that's, that, there was a sleight of hand that happened after World War II where the Soviets managed to persuade people, and I think a lot of the left in, in Europe and America sort of bought into this idea um, of, of you know, information and propaganda being somehow the real problem. Mm. Where in fact it's it's not necessarily that simple. No, no, it's it, it's but it goes through. Also, you know, you've got your uh, you know, you know postmodern postmodernism of the nineteen sixties to thank for this as well. You know, and the, the kind of the value the value of words, which is I think it's now being used against people. It's just that culturally speaking, this country I always thought was kind of had a different approach to. To, to this, but it doesn't appear to anymore. That's yes, I mean that was one of my yeah that was one of my one of my sort of views about what had happened in Britain in recent in recent years. Yeah. That 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 there was a kind of there was a kind of a naive conservatism with a small C yeah. that thought you know this is who we really are and we can we can have a small government and and, and yeah. you know liberal yeah. and all the rest of it. But in fact, they kind of forgot that actually you know the British bureaucracy is is as hungry for power. Um, as, as anything in Brussels. Mm, mm, mm. Um, uh, uh, and yeah, that's, I mean, that, that, anyway, that, that, uh, that's a whole day's work, I guess. Um, uh, <laughs> but I mean, the, 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 the problem, I think, I mean, who, who to blame for this? I think we are, I think it's really big. Um, it's to do with, with the fact that we are in a progressive era. And the progressive era goes back really till the late to the late 19th century. It mm. probably goes back to Hegel mm. um, and, and his sort of dialectical view of history. Um, I mean, the American civil servants and politicians in the 1920s were quite progressive. I mm. mean, they believed in the role of government. Mm. And you also have the transcendentalist movement in America mm. in the 1830s, mm. who lasted until the 1860s. And the transcendentalists were really proto-progressives. So they, 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 they were, I mean, they were Christians. But they they wanted to you know social reform was what they were about. Mm. So when you look at people on American campuses, you know students on American campuses, and you look at you know radical academics on American campuses, I mean I will to some extent I'll certainly you certainly will see the Frankfurt School, the influence of the Frankfurt School yes. because I mean critical race theory yes. is really just a kind of a, a legal version of critical theory, which was Adorno and Horkheimer, you know from the 1920s on. But I think I believe there is actually a Native American thing going on as well. When I say native, I mean, n n you know, uh, pr prior to all of this yes. in the society. And it's, it's really to do with the, uh, the America's brand of progressivism. Um, and to a large extent, what, what we're, what we're under, undergoing in, 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 in the Western world, outside the USA, is the export of this mm. to us. Mm. I mean, just as we got nylons and cigarettes, mm. we're getting, you know, the, these identitarian ideas. Radical okay. ideas. Yeah. If you look at, I mean, it, you know, this is what's been said so many times. It's quite right. The English-speaking world, you know, Australia, Canada, you know, uh, New Zealand, obviously us. You know, um, you know, we we are the most affected by mm. this kind of export. If you mm. like, um, we've ended up there actually at that point because it is so completely relevant actually to what, to what we, you know, to AI and, and everything yeah. and, and, and how it could be used. Um, I know it's one of those sort of speculative things, Paul, really, but um, I read in the Times today, for example, two things about AI. Um, one was that a man 
could walk again after having been sort of paralyzed in an accident. It was done, something done with AI in his brain, um, which was good, therefore, mm. of course. And then there was um, something about um, exams as well and how this could, you know, be a problem but also be a, a, a very, very good and beneficial thing. Um, so that's how it is now, um, kind of quite positive in a way. In 10 years' time, will it be a situation whereby, I think you've talked about this before, uh, if you're driving terribly on the road, that the car will just stop you driving? Or if, if you're, you know, or there's something goes wrong in a plane or whatever, that something will, AI will just simply stand and say, you are, you know, this is wrong and I'm going to take the plane down yep. or I'm going to stop the car. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I mean, and you know, areas where it can be, it can be operating, operated as a kind of safety system. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, certainly, if you take airlines, for example, I mean, ninety-nine percent of crashes, air, air, air accidents, are mm. caused by human error. Yeah. It's very seldom a mechanical problem, and mm. it, it's often loss of situational awareness by pilots and so on. Mm. And there is no real reason, so far as I know, I, mean, I think technology actually already exists, mm. that a plane could be made to land itself. Mm -hmm. So so in other words, I, I, I guess the, 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 the avionics or the, the, the autopilot or the, the controls, flight control system could say, for example, respond to a bunch of random incoherent inputs from a pilot that are very dangerous and just mm -hmm. say, look, you guys have lost the plot. The plane is now being landed yes. at the nearest airport. Yes. And you know, yes. I, that's all quite possible, I think. All quite possible. And I suspect it will happen. What would you say um, would be the things that we should really watch out for? I mean, we sort of covered them. But in 10 years' time, you know, what, where will it be intruding in our lives? I suppose we might not even know. Well, it, it, yes, I mean, partly we might not even know, and partly that it will, under the guise of an approval best practice, right. you know, industrial standard, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. which has been approved by, um, let's say for the sake of argument, it's been approved by various human rights organizations, for example. Right. Uh, and bodies purporting to be human rights organizations, that it is, it is making decisions about opinions that are allowed to be heard online. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it becomes a super moderator yeah. of online content. Right. That's the danger, mm -hmm. um, uh, and a super regulator, but a super moderator where it's a, a censor, in other, in other words, um, of online content. Does the online safety bill that you mentioned earlier, does that make any uh, provision for AI? It seems to have been going on for a long time. Um, not to my knowledge, I don't think it does, but again, I mean, um, AI is one of these things, you know, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to affect this, yeah. and it's going to, um, ultimately it's going to impinge on this. I mean, I'll, I mean I, in a way, I think about AI as being something not particularly that, that remarkable. I, mm. I, I think about AI really as something rather like, um, you know, a much improved camera mm. or a much improved um, car or something mm. like that mm. as a machine. And what I am concerned about is that insofar as it can simulate an organization with a conscience or it can simulate a, a, a being with a, um, some kind of moral compass, mm. that it will be used it would be it would be approved and certified by the authorities, and then told you know well we're good to go now with that, mm. with that AI, mm. and you can imagine companies you know, uh, 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 who are interacting with with customers, using one of these in an approved basis, having very few staff, 
you know, except technical staff to maintain something like this. Yes. And you end up in a kind of Huxley-esque world where the, you know, the computer says no. I mean, the machine yeah. is literally deciding everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, because the machine is regulated, that has been approved, then that's OK. So you're taking the human out. And that's kind of dangerous, because mm -hmm. then you're, 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 you're sort of freezing the sort of evolution of society and politics. You're freezing the evolution of our culture. Um, and you're just embedding it all in, a in an AI. I suppose there was one, one area that people got, uh, who people who, are, who like art um, were getting a little bit worried about was the idea that it could sort of kill human creativity. I mean, you know, you can just say, make me a picture, you know, in you know, a style a symphony of Renoir, or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it sort of can. Uh, again, there are little glitches here and there, so, yeah. so it's not perfect. Yeah. You know, you've only got to look at certain ways, certain things yeah. are painted. You think, oh, I just don't quite buy that. But, well, I, you know, I have to confess, I mean, I'm, a, I'm actually a cultural Darwinist. Right. So that is to say, I think in cultures, culture is always dynamic. Uh, so uh, uh, my view of culture is that it is never ever de jure, it is always and everywhere de facto. Right. Now, we can talk, of course, about classic periods of culture. You know, we can talk about you know, the world of T.S. Eliot or the Renaissance or whatever, uh, which you know, these become classical periods to us and so on. But really, I think culture is, 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 is inherently dynamic. And once we try, I mean, I think as it's an interesting point to make to conservatives, you know, that conservatives tend to want to conserve things and preserve things. Mm -hmm. But the danger there is that once we're in the business of just conserving things, we're kind of conceding to the left, as it were, you know, broadly speaking, the idea that, that there should be, you know, there's an approved structure around something. So my, my great sort of weapon uh, cognitive weapon against, against if you like, left-wing ideas about, say, history, or the ideas, for example, that in classical antiquity, you know, Greeks and Romans were racist and so on. And there are, there are authors who argue this. I mean, there's an author called Benjamin Isaac who argues that, that in classical antiquity, there, there was a proto-racism in the Romans and Greeks. And all of that belies actual evolutionary psychology. It, it belies, once you start looking at, at how culture actually works and how it interacts. Um, and so, the, the, the dynamic nature of culture and the evolutionary and Darwinian aspect of culture um, is, is the weapon against those who want to actually write, write a narrative and say, that's what culture is. It's a, it's a history of, of oppression, mm. it's a history of the patriarchy, and so on and so forth. Um, now, in response to that, I think, you know, the proper response to that, I mean, but there is, uh, there is obviously, and you've made programs about this, you know, where, where, where we talk about the great triumph of Western civilization, mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's, it needs to be talked about, and mm -hmm. it needs to be put out there, and I totally agree. But the, I think that the, the killer response to a lot of the left may not, in fact, be to simply assert the value that they're discarding, which I think has to be done. I think the killer argument against them is to actually cite Darwin. It's just to say, you know, in evolutionary terms, it doesn't work like that. You know, you, 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 you can't explain. In other words, there is no intentionality across history. Mm. There is no intentionality amongst groups. You can't talk about, you know, the patriarchy or uh, racism within systems, systemic racism, because this is describing an intentionality. Yes, yes. And that's, that's in fact, what, what Darwin killed. He killed mm. off the idea of intentionality. You know, he said nobody intended the world to be this way. This is just the way it is. It, it's an evolutionary thing. And whilst there are, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. And whilst, whilst that could be a bit disquieting for Christians or conservative Christians, 
it's enormously liberating. It's enormously powerful mm. against those who are trying to, in a way, put to us a kind of heresy, Christian heresy, yeah. about justice um, across ages and, 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 and so on. Fascinating point, actually. Um, yes, it, I think maybe we, we have just done the West, as you mentioned. Uh, maybe we should have a little epilogue uh, about how to, uh, because it, we, we are talking very much about why it's, it was an explanatory thing, because we were just alarmed by the amount people no longer know. And so essentially this was about, look, this is why it is a wonderful thing. Yeah, but yes, think, it's, uh, and it's, it's this, I think it's the distinction between, for example, you know, wanting the government to uphold its laws about immigration and so on, yeah. which I mean, because you know, we believe in the rule of law, I, I certainly won't want the government to do. On the one hand, but also, you know, understanding, I suppose, that at the end of the day, um, when all this gets worked out, as it somehow will all be, it'll all come out in some kind of wash somewhere, whether we like it or not, you know, there may well be people who will be descended from some of these people who came in illegally, who, you know, who could make, who could make extraordinary contribution. Mm -hmm. That's not to say we should, we should not enforce the law. Mm -hmm. But, you know, culture being Darwinian, culture being, being what it is, uh, you know, I mean, I have often, it has often crossed my mind that, you know, the, 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 the people who have the initiative to get here, you know, may have certain qualities. You that's, know. Well, that's the theory, isn't you know. it? I mean, I, I, that's the theory. That's the theory, you know, and obviously, <laughs> obviously, also, it gives rise to problems yes. as well, um, and social problems, such as we see in Sweden, you know, oh. uncontrolled, uncontrolled uh, Im immigration. Absolutely. But um, I'm, I'm generally speaking culturally an optimist, and I think the problem, I think, and I think the danger of AI is that AI will be an instantiation, uh, if, if, as it were, a kind of, um, you know, the, it, it'll become a kind of a ghost in the machine yeah. for programmatic social, reform, social reformers to, 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 you know, to tell us what to do, because it, it will be the expert. And yes. we, we live in an age where we defer to experts now. Mm. And, and um, a left, you know, Ian McGilchrist calls it a left brain world. And that's the world we live in, and and AI will be will be that. And I think the the you know I'm I'm sort of freedom in a way is freedom is Darwinian. I mean I, I tend to I don't I don't agree with Richard Dawkins' critique of the entire history of Christianity at all, but I do agree with him on the saliency mm. of, of what Darwin has to teach us about everything, including culture. Well, look. Um, Thank you very much Paul, for joining us actually, if, um, we, we, we did cover an awful lot there. Um, well, we'll keep an eye out for it. a great it. pleasure. <laughs> you know, we'll keep an eye on what's happening um, out there artificially. And um, thank you once again. Very thank much. you so much. Um, that's it for this week. Um, look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. Bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, May I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. 
If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.